Hello. Thank you so much for listening to Exactly with me, Florence Given. Over the next 20 episodes, I'll be exploring some really big subjects from multiple angles in four-part mini-series. We're going to be talking about sex, social media, feminism, relationships, and body image, as my mission is to really get into some of the complexity and nuance that these subjects hold. This is the third part of the series on sex, and today we're going to be talking about healing from sexual trauma with the incredibly wise Dr. Tamer Bryan. At the end of the episode, I'll be answering the questions that you've sent in through my Instagram stories on this topic. Then, next week, we're going to be opening up the conversation around sex, and I want to hear from you. My guest and I are going to be answering your calls, your texts, and your voice notes around sex, or any questions or dilemmas that you have to do with sex, sexuality, queer identity, or anything else. If you have something that you would like to discuss or you need advice, drop me a line on WhatsApp at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This mini-series is all about sex and sexuality. It's a massive topic and there's so many different angles we could take on it, but something I thought that would be really helpful for a lot of people to address is sexual trauma and how to heal from it. When I first wrote Women Don't Owe You Pretty a couple of years ago, I'd laid out all of the 21 chapters that I wanted to write beforehand, but the one on sexual assault was the hardest for me to write and it was actually the last one that I completed. I kept putting it off, not really wanting to have to complete that task and talk about something that every time I think about leaves me filled with anger, frustration, heart palpitations, disappointment, or just all of the above. We know that the rates of women who've experienced sexual violence are terrifyingly high. And post Me Too movement, we have this increased awareness of the problem, but I've heard less about recovering from it. And that's what we're going to do today. Although we will be talking about the subject generally, we won't be going into details of specific incidents or types of assault. And with that said, if the subject is too raw, then please do have a listen to one of the other episodes of Exactly. My guest today is the incredible Dr. Tamer. She has helped me through so much. She posts the snappiest quotes on Instagram that kind of reaffirm your self-worth and reaffirm your journey of growth. She's the fucking icon of not settling for less than you deserve. She's shifted my view many times with her analogies and I really, really want everyone to follow her on social media and I'm sure you won't even need convincing after this episode. Dr. Tamer Bryan is a minister, psychologist, professor, sacred artist and host of the podcast Homecoming. Her latest book, Homecoming, 
Overcome Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self publishes this March. I can't wait to read it. Dr. Tamer also has already published several books. She has a book on this exact subject called Surviving Sexual Violence, A Guide to Recovery and Empowerment, and Thriving in the Wake of Trauma, A Multicultural Guide, which I'll put links to in the podcast description. Today I'm making this episode for the younger version of Floss that felt so destroyed by the selfishness of other people and their actions that she didn't know what to do with herself. And I was very lost. I I did not know what to do after I'd been through sexual trauma. And I think for some people it takes even longer to realise that what you experienced was an assault. If I say anything before I actually interview Dr. Tamer, it's just I want you to know that it's not your fault, whatever happened to you. I just want this episode, if anything, to be a piece of comfort more than anything, more than it is informational or whatever. I want this to provide some comfort, regardless of your gender, however however you identify, however your experience is with assault. I want to learn more ways about how sexual trauma specifically affects us as well in our lives. I have a feeling that Dr. Tamer will say, like, you know, there's no right way of healing because I think it is individual to the person. But I think that she's going to have some cracking advice uh, and we will be taking your listener questions at the end of the episode as well. Dr. Tamer, I'm so, I'm so joyed to have you on my podcast today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited about being with you for this conversation. Of course. Um, before we get into the tricky and tough and at times hard to talk about conversation of sexual trauma, um, I like to ask my guests five quick fire questions that have absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, just to kind of break the ice and get us warmed up. So just say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. What's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Dancing. Ah, amazing. Okay. Me too. Yay. If you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life, a look that would define you forever, what would that outfit be? Orange, which is my favorite color, and somewhere on the outfit would be wings. Can I ask why wings? Uh, because I'm about like soaring, thriving, like not just being in survival mode, yes. but like going higher. Okay, wow, perfect answer. <laughs> that was so good. Okay, <laughs> um, what's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? People often think because I talk a lot when I'm presenting that it, that personally I'm a talkative person, but I'm much more a listener. Interesting. And finish this sentence. Okay. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to... Claiming my voice in all the areas of my life. Okay. When was the last time you majorly cringed at yourself? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Right before this, I was doing a presentation and then the attendees tried to turn it into a consultation and we were like okay. over time. So it's that boundary setting of, of saying, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to continue to participate in this. Like I, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot. So whenever you have to set a boundary, uh, there's that cringe moment of like, is this the line? Is this the line? Yeah, yeah. this is the line. Thanks for answering my quick five questions. Yeah. Um, before we get into talking about sexual trauma, I just want to talk about 
how much I love your work. And I want all the listeners who are listening to this podcast to listen to your podcast as well, Homecoming, and your episodes, the, particularly the one on rejection, uh, rejection not being an identity. Uh, check your circle. That episode still rings in my head, the quotes that you said and everything. It really made me think about my life and how I've often had to shrink myself because of other people's insecurities around me. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, how can we learn to keep our light when the people around us don't either reflect that back or don't celebrate us in our lives? Yeah, such an important question. And first of all, thank you for uh, enjoying the podcast and sharing it with your listeners. It has been such a delight to provide the mental health information because I have this vantage point of psychology for the people right? That it shouldn't just be for the elite or for the few or for the wealthy, but like, how do we get this information out there? Which is why I love you doing what you're doing. Um, so in terms of holding on to your light, when you're in an environment that tries to shade you, um, I think it is important to look at the things that nourish you and to get in the presence of those who will nourish you, even if that's not your family, even if that is not your current work environment. There has to be some input, some pouring in in order for you to continue to show up in the way that you are. And so selecting friends that get you, that affirm you, that encourage you, uh, getting in the presence of like-minded people, kindred spirits, and uh, one of the gifts that has come with this pandemic is so many more options being available online. So even if you're in a small community and you don't know anybody in your direct community that flows the way you flow, there are people online who have your sensibility that will share your passions and your commitments. And so being able to tap into them so that when you are in the dry places, when you are in the desert lands, when you are in the places where the affirmation is not coming readily, that you're able to nourish your soul in that way. And I would also say feeding your spirit. And so what are the ways that make your spirit come alive uh, even when you're in a toxic space? And like you said, you're, the thing that makes you come alive is dancing. Yeah. Well. So, so there are so many pockets of joy that you can tap into. That's right. right. That's right. I tell people yeah. when they're at a workplace that is draining, then having your morning ritual, you know, before you show up to that yeah. place. I remember I was working at a really stressful place and the director, the assistant director one day said to me, you always seem so happy. And I get the feeling it has nothing to do with this place. And I said, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Oh, my God, goodness. That's so brilliant. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, if I was dependent on this place for my joy, I'd be miserable. So I have to find something yes. outside of here that feeds me. For sure. You have to find your pockets of joy. And I think what's really sad is that I, people often think that I'm high just because I laugh all the time and I find so much joy and I'm always smiling. And they almost don't believe it, which I think is really sad. Yeah. Um, but it's because I stick to my rituals. And I, you know, I've had a lot of success in my career. And, and the nourishment that I get from my career is the joy from other people telling me that this helped them or whatever. But actually, also, it's the really small things. It's like making my coffee in the morning in my lap print teacup because that is so special to me and all of these little yes. rituals and then dancing to a new song yes that's amazing advice thank you the simple pleasures yes and 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 I appreciate you naming how people can think your joy 
is inauthentic. And it does, as you said, it reveals more about them and their life journey than about you. Uh, And some people equate kindness with fake, right? If you smile and are kind, then their experience tells them this must be a trick. You must be trying to manipulate me. You're trying to get something out of me. And it's very revealing about, you know, the lives people have lived where it is suspicious to have joy. Thank you so much. Uh, When when we're talking about the people that we surround ourselves with, red flags often comes up in conversation when we're talking about making new friends or dating new people and stuff like that. And you talk a lot about red flags. And I love how you talk about, uh, I think I have one of your quotes written down here somewhere. Um, As you heal, poison becomes less attractive. (laughs) And I loved that so much. It's just so good. I think a a lot of your quotes are so snappy and to the point. Now, what I want to ask you, leading on to the topic of sexual trauma, why is it then that we ignore red flags? And does it have anything to do with fear? So we often ignore red flags for uh, one is hope, right? Uh, often, especially when it comes to relationships, we are hoping for love. We are hoping this is the one. And so we can fall for people's potential and we can fall for who we who we want them to be uh, to the point where we will uh, ignore and excuse who they actually are. Because if I accept, if I really look at the red flags, then like the fantasy is over. So one of the pieces is hope. The other piece is some of the messages we have received about relationships focus so much on it being work. So we tell people, you know, it's not going to come easy. It takes work. And of course, relationships take work, but there is a point in which people's spirits are broken and they're thinking, well, that's just normal. So you want to... really be able to distinguish, is it that the two of us are working to get to know each other because we maybe grew up in different ways and it's just like it's a process of us learning each other? Or is the work really me erasing myself, me losing uh, my voice, That's me the ignoring my needs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you go through something with, with a person, you ignored all the red flags and then you end up in a really horrific situation and I was I was talking with someone recently and we said that actually one of the most dangerous things um, on the note of sexual violence and sexual trauma that a woman can do is simply to date men and be around men because 90% of perpetrators are already known to the woman in her life. Yeah. And I think once you go through something that shakes your world, shakes your core, it can be really hard to trust people again. And we get into that place of... I can't trust anyone. Do you have anything to say about leaving the victim mindset into a survivor mindset that you were speaking about earlier with with your wings on your clothes <laughs> that you would have because you're you're so much more focused on thriving than being defined by the things that happen to you. Yeah. So we want to first actually give space to take in the victimization, right? Because I think sometimes we want people to skip over their process right? We want to skip to the wings and there was no cocoon, right? So we need wow. to have, <laughs> right? We need space <laughs> to be able to grieve it, right? We need space uh, for the anger, right? I like to say it's healthy to be outraged about outrageous things. It is a healthy response 
to be outraged about the violation. And it is also a part of the the, the response that there will be grief in it of what was taken. And I appreciate yeah. you naming that in most cases, it's someone who is known to you because we are usually prepared. And now I'm speaking uh, to women or uh, for those who are non-binary, but we're often prepared as children to look out for strangers. Right. So people will say, you know, have your keys ready. Stranger danger. Right. Oh, that's the whole piece. Don't go with strangers. Everything is about the stranger. And so we have mm-hmm. often not been equipped or prepared for like, what if you're on a date? What if you like them? What if it's actually your partner? Right. So because those experiences have often not been named, it adds even more to the victim blaming. Right. Well, you you were with them. You invited them into your apartment. You know, all of these things that if you were attracted to someone, then that must mean consent. Or if you had sex with them in the past, then that means you forever are a yes to whatever they want to do at any time. And when we talk about this journey of surviving to thriving is first giving ourselves pause and permission and safety to actually heal and to feel what you feel. And so the sexual violence can affect you psychologically when we think about PTSD, which is intrusive thoughts, thinking about it when you don't want to think about it, being what we would call hypervigilant, so that caution um, and avoidance. So you might avoid uh, dating for a while or you know, yeah. avoid people who remind yeah. you of that person. Um, it can affect your concentration. Um, I'm a sexual assault survivor. When I uh, was assaulted, I was um, home from college. And when I went back to Duke University, uh, my grades plummeted because I just couldn't focus. And I was someone whose school had always come easy for me. So people have had difficulty with work or difficulty with school, difficulty with relationships or intimacy. And so needing spaces where you can actually heal But then the part is when you talk about like being stuck in the victim mindset, that's when, you know, time has passed, but there's been no process or growth on my part, right? So some people, when they tell you about their experience, um, and it may have been 10 years ago, but it sounds like it was last night, you know, then they're really stuck. It is a part of my story, but it's not my whole story. So I like to say trauma affects you, but it doesn't define you. Right. So there is more to you than how other people have treated you. You were touching on how um, it impacted your schoolwork and all of those kinds of things when you came home. And I feel like assault does change your life trajectory, Mm -hmm. if not only because it might launch you into a career like you and I are doing, mm-hmm. right? Where, where you actually decide to, to to help other people through this kind That's of right. stuff. But because of your entire worldview changes, I think for a lot of people, when abuse comes from the same place you once thought was safe, that can be very confusing to receive that message. And like we're saying, it usually, if not most cases, happens with someone you trusted. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, it, it, it can be really hard to trust people again. And I often think about the reality that all the women in my life have, have either been harassed, assaulted, mm-hmm. or worse by men. And that the other reality is that we don't actually even tell each other because maybe we didn't know that what happened was assault mm-hmm. um, because it has been so normalized yeah. and because it was with a boyfriend and we thought that that was his right to just do that or yeah. all of this kind of really confusing stuff. Again, touching on 
the person you trusted also being the person who really crossed several lines. How and you spoke just, also about- Just before that, your question, I do want to name that while the overwhelming majority are by men, but that some people have had women offenders, especially when we talk about um, molestation, sometimes um, older girls or um, adult women, babysitters, family members. And so uh, just to, to name that part of some people's experience as well. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Thank you. So I'm wondering how survivors can- reclaim their voice in other ways when speaking up might be too costly for them because it often is too costly to name your abuser or to tell people in your life because of the connections and the pieces that hold this whole puzzle together. What are some other ways that survivors of sexual trauma Mm -hmm. can reclaim their voice? Yes. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, who people choose to disclose to Um, is really, you know, their own journey. And it's an interactive process, meaning is sometimes the reason people have not said something is uh, they're clear others are not safe, right? That people will not believe them or that people will not support Mm -hmm. them, that people will side with this relative for various reasons. Or, you know, if you're from a marginalized community that people will say, you know, you should never report someone from our community because we already are facing so many difficulties. So there is often this pressure um, for your silence. So some people falsely Mm -hmm. believe that there are a a lot of of, um, false reports um, with sexual assault, but the opposite is actually true, where it's much more likely that people are not reporting. So the numbers are um, grossly underestimated. And so what can I do? Let's say if I've decided that my family is not going to support me, or if I believe um, that I don't want to be involved with the criminal justice system for whatever reason, um, there are still ways, as you're naming, to own my voice. And so one is figuring out um, family members and friends who are safe, um, who will believe me, who will support me, so that even, you know, if if it's a relative and you're not cutting that person off, if I have someone in the room who knows what happened so they can support me um, kind of, you know, with their silent presence or making sure I'm not by myself with this person. Um, and also in my friendships to create the kind of friends uh, who get it and who show up with compassion. And as you have named, because it is so prevalent, often you're not the only one. And so, you know, usually if we do share just a piece of it, the the common Mm. refrain is like, me too, right? Me too, maybe sometimes from that same person, right? Um, And so we want to be mindful of just because you choose not to say it in one space does not mean you have to be silent in every space. Um, A big one that shows up for me in terms of as a therapist is people who are having difficulty with intimacy with their current partners. And sometimes they will then either come for individual or couples therapy to try to reclaim their sexuality, to try to reclaim your body. If your only association with it is violation, um, that's, you know, a very uh, narrow um perspective on what intimacy is. And so, but it does take work to get reconnected with your body. Another great way for people to reclaim their voice is through the arts. 
I mentioned, we both love dance. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's a wonderful way uh, to the point where they even now have trauma-informed yoga. Um, People have talked about somatic therapy. Soma means body. So not just thinking about my healing process, but involving my body in my process. Um, And so Mm -hmm. using your artistry, using your friendships, um, using your spiritual practice as a way of reclaiming your voice. Um, And of course, what you said both of us are doing is trying to help other people. So there are those who who reach back, who volunteer with like rape crisis centers or in diverse ways try to help, um, even if you're not specifically telling your story. I love what you said about the, the cocoon. Um, you know, we're trying to get the wings, but we've not even been a cocoon, in, in a cocoon yet. And I think there is a lot of frustration. All the stuff we're talking about now, all of this healing stuff, mm-hmm. it sounds it sounds easy. Like, like I, I never, and I know this is not what you're doing, mm-hmm. but for anyone listening to this, it almost sounds like all I need to do is dance or this mm-hmm. or, or, or make a podcast about sexual trauma. And it is this this slow journey and process i i in my experience i became very frustrated with the fact that i wasn't yet okay after 3 months yeah. could you talk a little bit more about what the after effects of sexual trauma yes. might look like because i reckon there's probably some people listening to this who maybe wrote off as what they had as just bad sex mm-hmm. but they still feel mm-hmm. horrific yes. and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So could we talk more about how you might feel afterwards, the long-term and short-term effects sure. of sexual trauma? Yes. And so uh, the depression, the anxiety, and I want to name that some people's depression shows up as what we would call irritable depression. And often when you're more irritable, okay. people are less compassionate, right? If you were kind of sitting there crying and sad, then some people you know, might respond with support. But often with some survivors, they'll label you as having a bad attitude, right? But that quote unquote bad attitude or irritability is really a response of what you experience. Uh, there can also be dissociation or numbness. So when you're disconnected, if you've ever talked to someone and they're physically present, but you're clear they're not really there, like the eyes are are vacant Mm -hmm. and we ourselves can have that experience of kind of going through the motions of kind of walking around your life, but not really feeling present. And you may have checked out in the midst of the violation as a way of trying to get through it, right? And so um, it can show up in these emotional consequences. As I mentioned, concentration. It also shows up in the body. So some of us, you know, culturally or by personality aren't willing to acknowledge uh, mental health challenges. So we would say that we're not depressed, but we get migraines all the time. Right. So the body is telling the story um, that we have nausea. A lot of people have backache. And so the distress is showing up uh, in your body, grinding your teeth at night. Right. The distress is in the body, insomnia. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it can also uh, show up in our uh, relationships, how we relate to other people. We might become um, more Um, Some people would label needy or clingy, but needing people to be around us to kind of assure us all the time, or we might isolate and um, keep people at a distance. And we all know people who you may know for years, but you don't feel like you really know them. They kind of go through life with a wall up, you know, of trying to protect themselves. And that can create this um, kind of self-sabotaging because sometimes you want connection, but what you are communicating is like, stay away from me. 
Um, and so yeah. it can also even affect it as you were naming your um, uh, school or work experience. There was a research study that was done in the States where um, they were trying to do what they would call here a welfare to work program. So to take people who um, were um, relying on government assistance and to give them all jobs. And what they found is the ones who could not maintain the jobs, even when you gave it to them, were women with long-term untreated trauma, right? They just were too overwhelmed. They couldn't wow. even focus or concentrate, right? And so you think about what has made it difficult for some people to complete things. Many of us are starters, but not completers. And so, you know, trauma affects your nervous system. And so when you become overwhelmed or flooded, um, that's when people can either shut down um, or we can become explosive, and so thinking about for yourself, you know, for each person, what your tendency has been, if things feel stressful or unsafe or you feel unsure, uh, do you shut down and kind of withdraw within yourself or do you respond in ways that some people would call over the top or that it did not match the circumstance, but you're responding really to like all of the things that you have been holding in. Something entirely different yeah. to the, the current situation. That's right. You know, some people um, have coped by depending on substances and some people cope with emotional eating, you know, trying to soothe yourself in that way. Um, some people have coped in serial dating, but this idea of like, if you come to believe the only thing I have that is of value is my body, so I want to try to kind of offer it as a way of being acceptable to people. And some people have these kind of false notions of empowerment, which are if I'm sharing my body with everyone, then like I'm I'm, I'm not going to be raped, right? Because I'm freely giving, but it's still not really from an empowered place uh, of really feeling comfortable within yourself. And so, you know, it can show up in these ways. And I, and I appreciate you naming that the recovery process is a, is a long process and the word recovery kind of mixes it up because you're not going to be who you were before. Like you said, it changes you. So you can still have a full life. You can have an abundant life. You can reclaim joy, um, but you are different. You are changed as a result of the experience. Absolutely. And it does involve grieving yes. who you were before it happened to you. Yeah. I think the, the hardest and most uncomfortable thing for me to acknowledge was that what happened to me wasn't my fault, but it is my responsibility. I think that's the most frustrating thing was that I did not choose this. This was somebody else just, just dumped this enormous, horrific thing into my life. And I have to deal with it because no one is coming to save me. Yes. Yeah. So important that we take ownership over our healing. And it's not fair because likely that other person has gone on with their life, may not even think much about it, may have done it to other people, and you're left with these pieces. And even with how unfair it is, and as you named, having to grieve it, but also like getting to reclaim my pen. And what I like to say kind of as metaphor is some people have written on the pages of your life and you didn't have a say-so in what they wrote on your pages but at this point, we we claim the pen and say, you know, what is my next chapter going to look like? What is today going to look like? What are the ways in which I can nourish and nurture myself? Because the offender 
um, erased me in that moment, like did not care what I wanted or what I thought or what I said or what I felt. And so I am not going to be in agreement with them by ignoring myself going forward, right? That it is a radical act. It is an act of resistance to say, my feelings do matter. My voice does matter. Uh, What I need does matter. And so we begin to nurture ourselves and give ourselves uh, what we need for the support and the healing. That's an amazing metaphor. I love love the pen metaphor. Mm -hmm. I think that's so empowering because... It restores autonomy over your life and your body and it gives you the choice where that choice was taken away from you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're talking a lot about reclaiming our narrative. We're talking about actions. Why is rest important in healing? Yes. So rest is important and it's also difficult because when we are resting, usually we are silent and still. And I want to name one of the common coping strategies that often or responses that we don't always acknowledge is busyness. You know, many of us don't want to think about what happened, right? We don't want to remember. And so we fill our lives nonstop with uh, busyness uh, because if I'm not still... Distractions. Right. We want to stay distracted, right? That in the stillness, memories come up. In the stillness, your fears come up. Um, And so... It can rob you of your rest, but one of the things that we have to come to is busy does not equal healed. You can be productive and not healed, right? It's all distraction. And so when I'm healed, I can Mm. be at home with myself, you know, figuratively, right? That I can be home in my own presence and I don't need constant distraction. And rest is also important because, you know, the violation was to the body, right? You know, it's to your soul and your mind and your heart as well, but directly to the body. And so then we want to think about, am I ignoring what my body needs now, right? Bodies need rest, right? Bodies need to eat a nutritious meal. Bodies need water. And so if I am, bodies need touch, comfortable touch, safe touch, right? So if I am um, checked out from my own body, then I am still like in that mode of erasure and violation. 
Um, and so our rest is important, not only for our physical health, um, but also emotional, because as you were naming earlier, this, this idea of, am I enough, right? And when I don't feel I'm enough because of the violation, I'm perpetually trying to prove myself. And that's that perfectionism. So if oh, I keep, gosh, you know, yes. if I keep, if I'm driven, mm-hmm. I'm driven, I'm driven, then I'm trying to prove to everyone else and I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm enough. And when I can get to that place of... And that I'm okay. Yes, yes, right? We're trying to convince, convince others and ourselves and instead to be able to say, you know, I am a human being and I am tired and I am drained and I am empty mm-hmm. and I'm exhausted and I, I deserve rest, not just after I do a million things, but in terms of my regular practice, yeah. you know, and that's an important yeah. part of our recovery. It's like we, we feel like we have to work to be able to deserve that rest. That's right. Yeah. They'll say, oh, after all the things I've done, I deserve a day off. And it's like, you might just need a day off in a preventative yeah. way. <laughs> yes, for sure. And then the day off would also, uh, in my case, be spent it would be spent working yes. still like it wouldn't be I'm, I might physically be at home mm-hmm. but I'm still working or I'm right. still distracted and yes. all that kind of stuff we're talking a lot about like spending spending time in the body right. being important because maybe you dissociated from the incident while it was happening mm-hmm. and you came out of your body to be able to get through maybe what was happening and spending time in your body being an important thing. I wrote in my book that the most empowering thing I did was buy my first sex toy after I was assaulted. And that was, you know, we're talking about dancing and all of this kind of stuff. That was really tricky for me to do, but it completely changed my relationship with my body and it made it slowly over time. It felt like it was mine again. And I think that's also really important. Yes. So important because We often, um, particularly as women, are taught either, um, you know, to erase and disconnect from our body and from bodily pleasure uh, and or to use our bodies in service to other people. Right. So it's like their pleasure is important. So it becomes very performative of like, how do I need to move so that I will be chosen? right? How can I be sexy to them so that I can be deemed good enough and what feels good to them? And if I please them, then I will receive these benefits of whatever that benefit is you're looking for, right? And losing sight of our own pleasure, right? Our own pleasure, our own enjoyment, uh, our knowing uh, of our own bodies and not uh, just being there for other people to act upon for their pleasure. Mm. So you end up you end up using your body as this tool mm-hmm. to get what you want from yes. other people yeah. because of how they might respond to it based right. on how you move your body. Even even like when you're having sex, yeah. I've spoken to loads of women about this. It's almost like this imagined outer gaze, and we're thinking mm-hmm. about what we look like mm-hmm. from the outer gaze. What during intercourse? Yes because we think that that's how the person right. will want us instead of being in our body. Yes. So even still, when we're, when we think we're engaging in sex, right. we're still thinking about how we look from the outside, right. which is just, right. again, and some kind of people, an, another method of dissociation from right. the body. That's right. And how some of us have been taught to use um, our bodies for a uh, reward. So that reward could be a ring. That reward could be praise or the in- attention of someone who we deem to be special in some ways. So, you know, if we talk about sexual violation, 
being kind of like invisibility or like not having voice or power, you know, being silenced. And then if people imagine that their place of empowerment or healing or wellness is to be perpetually in service of other people's gaze, right? That I'm empowered now, but I'm really just posting my body, hoping that you'll like me, right? And what will your comments be? And will you say that I'm beautiful and then I'm going to feel broken if not enough people Mm -hmm. liked it? Um, That that is also, you know, really not empowered or healed. Mm, I think that there are a lot of ways, myself included, that I have tricked myself into thinking that everything is okay. Particularly what you said about the keeping yourself busy thing. I think I literally said to someone the other day that they asked me like, what do you do to relax? I just said, I don't. (laughs) Like, I don't. Um, And I think it's realizing that I rarely have a moment of stillness. You know, Mm -hmm. I can be physically still, but I'll still be entertaining myself with something or I'll be writing. And I still, although writing is a process of like untangling the thoughts and the processing, you can sometimes over-process. And I think read too many books. That was another thing that I feel like I've done is is, is another coping mechanism. It's almost reading too much into the experiences and intellectualizing them instead of just feeling it and resting. I'm so glad you you are you know sharing that part of your journey because I think it is a part that often gets overlooked because you know people may say oh you know I'm not um, depressed I'm not dependent on drugs I'm not like any of these I don't have flashbacks um, but not able to relax yeah. right not able to have fun not able to let go, not, you know, able to like really have stillness. So that kind of mindfulness piece um, and really being, as we say, landing in the moment. Am I ever really grounded in this moment or am I constantly, even as you said, when my body is still, my mind is racing ahead, trying to prepare for the next best thing, right? Chasing that Um, satisfaction that is never quite enough. Because when you're in that place, even when you accomplish something, you don't really take it in. Like you're, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Right? So we want- (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So to be able to celebrate yourself and to to be present in the moment of like, um, I'm not going to constantly chase uh, and seek out uh, enoughness, right? I'm already okay, not more than okay, mm. right? I am already worthy of rest, yeah. of pleasure, of joy, of love, including the love of myself. Yeah. I think, you know, what, what you were saying about, like when I said that my, I'll be physically still, but my mind is still wearing and racing. It is a state of fight or flight, I feel. And I feel like this is common with survivors as well. It's, it's fight or flight, waiting almost for the next thing to happen. Mm-hmm. So never fully relaxing. And I feel like that speaks to the hypervigilance that you were talking right. about. It's um, a friend pointed it out to me once. I hear noises. Like I'm, I'm very acutely aware of my surroundings right. during a period of my life after the assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when that was brought to my attention, it was something that I had never seen. And I was grateful to my friend who pointed it out to me but it was and then that's something that I worked on and and trying to relax and you know something I've been doing lately is just going to the pub and dancing Mm -hmm. and that previously was something that was really full of anxiety there was always this fear in the back of my head of 
being out and being seen in public, um, particularly with a high profile now as well. But now I've, I've just been going to the pub and dancing and it's the most, you know, you don't, you don't tell survivors go to the pub and dance and you'll be fine. <laughs> but but I, there have been yes. these little pockets of joy for myself. It's a part of it. It is, it is. It is. And I feel like you have to push against your fears, right? Yeah. To be able to live again and soar and thrive. That's right. And I, I'm so glad you named the hypervigilance because that's a part of why some people can't relax is when something good happens, they're waiting for the bad. And I have to brace myself. I need to prepare for it. I'm constantly yes. scanning the environment for the next disaster. And so that is also what can rob us from the joy. Because it's like, even if this was a good day, you know, I have a client who will say, but what about tomorrow? Maybe tomorrow's going to be bad, but today was good. Yes. And I love that you said, you know, going out and going dancing, because sometimes we have these very... Um, Western, some people say colonized notions of what healing is, which is like two people in a room with no windows talking for 50 minutes, and that is how you heal. Well, okay. you know, therapy is okay. a part of the process, <laughs> yeah. but yes, dancing, yes, yeah. you know, loving, yes, talking to people, yes, cooking, yes, gardening, get, you know, a full life, you know, a full life is, is a part of the healing. Yes. Yeah. A full life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I really want to move on to my listener questions now. So these are questions that people have been sending in through my Instagram. Okay, so here's a yeah. question from uh, one of my followers on Instagram. I found that I've become hypersexual after my trauma. Is this a normal coping mechanism to have lots of sex after rape? Yes. So for some people, um, it does go into that realm. And a part of what, you know, you or others may be doing as they're engaging in that is trying to uh, kind of reclaim your power. So this sense of like someone else took this from me. So if I am... Um, consenting. If I'm going out and doing it, I'm in control. So it's like people trying to have a, a corrective experience um, of the violation didn't feel good. So now I am choosing, right? I am getting to choose and I am choosing in this way. In that moment, you might feel empowered, but the internal work, when we said the cocoon part will still need to happen. Okay. I think a lot of people probably experience that. So that's going to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, the next question I have is, when should I tell the person I'm dating about my trauma and about my triggers? Yes. I think this one's quite interesting because also I feel like that's information to be with a trusted person mm -hmm. as well. Yes. So, you know, I would say it's not like a certain number of dates or certain uh, amount of time with the person. It is more, you know, the relationship and, um, you know, kind of the indicators uh, that this person is, as you said, a safe person to share with. So you can even get into a larger conversation about, you know, sexual assault. Because sometimes, as you see in social media, the way some people respond uh, to sexual assault is to always disbelieve, to say, you know, uh, women lie or women this or women that. And so you want to have a sense of like, where does this person stand on the issue, ah. you know, to figure out, is this a, a, a safe person for me to share and to talk with about it? Um, and then, you know, I would say when we're talking about like deep relationships or like real intimacy, you know, intimacy is being known, not just physically, but emotionally. 
So you do want the person who you are choosing uh, to spend this part of your life with to fully know you. And so sometimes we can feel like, you know, people know our representative, right? How we're presenting ourselves. Um, But if you have in your mind, if they knew this part about me, I'm not sure they would still like me or love me then that's an issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because then you don't really feel known and seen and accepted and understood. And so, you know, it is a part of your journey. So as you all um, are knowing each other, and I have found that transparency brings more transparency, you know? So if you share more personal things about yourself, they may share more things about their experience um, and then, you know, being able and comfortable to share it. And some people do it, sooner um, than others. But I think that, you know, overall, it is something that should be shared if this is a real uh, intimate relationship. I think that was a really good point you made about perhaps bringing up sexual assault in conversation to to test the waters of how they respond to that as a way to gauge if they're a safe safe person or not. Mm. I think that's a really great way without bringing up your own experiences. So here's another one. Uh, This one came up a lot. There were, there were thousands, so I, we boiled them down. Um, I'm so scared to have sex and it's not enjoyable for me anymore due to fear. How do I learn to trust myself and other people again? Yes. So such a, a common experience. And we heard like the first question and this question, it's kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum, right? So some people becoming very uh, sexually yeah. active. And then some people like, um, you know, really stepping away from the sexual space. And so, you know, just some pointers um, for that. It is helpful, um, especially in those cases where it's difficult to share with your partner um, your history so that they can be patient and sensitive and tuned in to what might be triggering for you, like to be touched in a certain way, or for some people, a certain position is especially problematic because it's the position of the violation. Um, And so to be able to have that communication with them, it will help if you can talk about about your experience. Uh, Another pointer I say is to have some level of lighting uh, in the room and to have your eyes open you are much more likely to go into that past experience if it's pitch black or if you have your eyes closed because then all you're having is like the physical, right, sensation. So it's like, I need to know where I am and who I am with. And I see, so I am connected to the person in the present instead of getting caught up in my Mm. past, right? Um, And then sometimes it can also help what we talk about, like sensate focus, which is focusing on sensation over penetration, meaning penetration is the thing that is scary or painful to say, like to kind of have an agreement that this exchange or, you know, that today is just about foreplay, right? Because sometimes you're bracing yourself and you can't even enjoy the foreplay because you're just so uh, stressed about what is coming. But if you say like that part is off the table today, let's just like explore and enjoy each other's bodies then some of that anxiety um, can go down. Um, And then for people who it is actually physically painful for, there are actual like kind of uh, medical and psychotherapeutic interventions to help with that because um, for some, it'll just be a matter of like more relaxation and mindfulness or meditation 
or the foreplay or communication. But for some people, your body is actually uh, kind of locking down and shutting down and and that is making it more painful. Um, So then needing uh, support to work through that. Okay. Amazing. There's so much advice in there. Um, I have another question. How do you get past the need to prove that it happened when others don't believe you? Yeah. So the need for other people to understand you. What you're wanting is not so outrageous or so extreme. It should really be very basic. And then at the same time, uh, many don't receive that kind of belief and support. Um, So, you know, one of the things that was helpful for me in understanding all the kind of victim blaming is in social psychology, we have this construct called belief in a just world. And so a lot of people want to believe the world is just, and if the world is just, good things happen to good people. And if something bad happens to you, it means you did something wrong. So uh, that is people's way of trying to assure their own safety, right? If I don't do wrong things, bad things won't happen to me. So when you say you're violated, some people's mind automatically goes to trying to figure out what you did wrong. What did you wear? Wow. Right? What did you drink? Why did you go there? And I would never do that. And because I would never do that, I am safe, right? Because if they can blame you, then they know what not to do. And um, the reality is we don't live in a just world. uh, And so they want to justify, excuse it or explain it. So I want to name that it is painful to not be believed. And there is grief in there. There could be anger in there as well. And um, what helps is um, to to connect with people who do believe you. I know a lot of times we just want to tell people, as long as you know the truth, that's all that matters. But the reality is, as you said, it is important for you to have connections with people who do believe you and who support you. Absolutely. That was amazing. The, the just world concept. I'd not heard of that before. And that just made a lot of sense mm-hmm. For me about, I think I might have had that view and then my world turned completely upside down where I couldn't make sense of why it was happening. And so then I would jump to the the self-blame. And I think that's what a lot of uh, victims Mm -hmm. of sexual abuse probably go to themselves because they too have this just world view where they think, okay, no one would do this to someone if there wasn't something that I did. So, and that's what we think say. It's, it's oh, really... it must have just been a miscommunication, right? Maybe they didn't hear me when I said no, or they they didn't mean it. They do really like me. It was a mistake. So, you know, we want to try mm. to dilute the experience uh, to to be able to try to make sense of it, and also the self blame is the social messages we get, but also the desire or control, right? If I can figure out what I did wrong, then I'll never do it again and it won't happen to me, right? So that is, you know, part of that pull. So what we talk about is while, Mm. you know, um, we can do things to try to reduce our risk, but when it comes to prevention, that is really the offender to not rape people, right? And as people have said, instead of giving like a long handout to women of all the things they should try to do to stay safe, you know, to teach boys and men not to rape, not to assault. And as I said, mm-hmm. also women offenders as well. You know, this messaging that we that uh, a lot of uh, uh, men get, which is that their job is to convince, 
right? That people are going to say no, but you just have to kind of wear them down. You just keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. And you even see this in our in the film industry, right? Where they have these quote unquote tussling mm-hmm. scenes and then it turns into consensual sex. Um, a lot of pornography mm-hmm. with women of color involves uh, violence. And so, you know, all of these pieces uh, promote these notions that our bodies should be available to anyone who wants them. Mm. I want to end on one question. Um, what's one myth that you would like to bust about peeling from sexual trauma? One myth for uh, sexual trauma survivors to push back on is the idea that we are damaged. That if you believe we are just broken beyond repair, that we are just damaged, uh, because that can promote this idea of unworthiness, right? This idea of like, who would want me? Or that I am incapable of being in a loving relationship, or I am incapable of uh, having healthy relationship with my body and sexuality. Um, And I will say uh, it is a myth. While it is hard, and as you said, it can take, you know, a lot of time in terms of your process, uh, that there are many sexual trauma survivors who are uh, living lives uh, where they can feel good about themselves, where they have built healthy relationships, where they do have joy, where some do enjoy sex. And those stories often don't get told, which is why I think it's important, you know, that you and I talk about being survivors, because many times people only see examples of survivors when they're in a very devastated place. So the picture people have in their minds of what does a survivor look like, it is someone who is broken down and who has fallen apart. And when we manage to put the pieces together, we often don't tell our stories so people don't have a visual of what can life look like on the other side of this. And I'm glad that two of us, the two of us are some examples of what life can look like in the aftermath. Absolutely. God, that's such a beautiful way to end this episode. Dr. Tamer, it's been so amazing talking to you. I know this is going to help a lot of people. Oh, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. I was actually a bit nervous about doing this episode today with Dr. Tamer, but she has such a way of bringing lightness to the heaviest, probably one of the heaviest topics that we're going to be discussing in this podcast. I really hope that it brings some healing to you, some comfort, and to know that you're not alone and to know that there are so many ways that people deal with sexual trauma. I love what she had to say today, and I really hope that anyone listening to this can find some kind of healing and comfort from it and if you have a friend that's experienced assault or is going through something then please share this episode share dr tamer's uh, instagram you can follow dr tamer at dr full stop tamer spelled t-h-e-m-a and you can find her books on drtamer.com Don't forget, next week, it's all about you. For the fourth part of this mini series on sex, you're going to be able to join myself and my guest, Alex Fox, to answer all of your questions for my listener call-in. Any questions or dilemmas that you have to do with sexuality, queer identity, or anything else. If you have something you want to discuss or need advice, drop me a line on WhatsApp at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. 
And a massive thank you to the fucking incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for my show. You can find them on Instagram at Black Honey UK and check out their latest album written and directed. To keep updated with all the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow Exactly Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do take the time to rate and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help people to find us and to make sure that the people who need to hear these conversations do. And for some juicy bonus content, you can become a subscriber on Apple Podcasts and ask me anything you want. I'll be answering all of your questions. My producer is Millie Charles. My assistant producer is Ella McLeod. Executive producer is Carly Mail. Production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And I want to give a special thanks to our engineers, Jay Beal, Josh Gibbs, and mixing engineer, Gully Lawrence Tickle. And additional production from Chris Skinner and Teddy Riley. Hold up. 